Look, I am not stupid, you know. They cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. Not for about 40 years. Are you saying it's from the future? One possible future. From your point of view, I don't know tech stuff. Then you're from the future too, is that right? Right. Right. Cyborgs don't feel pain. I do. Don't do that again. Just let me go. Listen and understand. That Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us this is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago and he just said, I'll be back. And then he left. Come on. You had to see that one coming. Uh, In the meantime, allow me to welcome you back into our series on learning how to lose titled In the Morning. This is a series meant to help us meditate on loss as we navigate life inside of a pandemic, giving even deeper resonance to our regular mantra of assessing what scares us in order to find what saves us. To know more about this particular series, go back and listen to our Infinity War conversation from a few months ago. Yes, Infinity War, the Avengers film. But I'm getting ahead of myself (laughs) because here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain. And we're going to have a very special guest here momentarily who's going to explain a lot to us. Uh, But right now, I want to explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can, some episodes at least, watch The Fear of God on YouTube. And you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find episode archives and merchandise. Cell phone cases, t-shirts, campaign buttons, face masks. Read? Hello. I told you I'd be back to the podcast. And here I am. You thought you were expecting little puny Reed, but you're not. You're not getting him. You're getting me. I'm just so excited. Wait, I I have a trick for you. I have a trick. Wait, it's trick. (laughs) 
Ah, it was never, it was never Arnold. It was me the whole time. It was, it was always. I have, I have these really bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions. You know, but I'll return. Um, you will. So be back. It'll be back. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> never. Audience listeners won't know, especially if you edit this as nimbly as I know you can. <laughs> if you don't, I don't care either. But I was trying to get through the mildly serious, you know, kind of content of in the morning. Meanwhile, on Zoom, Reed's name keeps changing to famous <laughs> Arnold characters. It's like Conan the Lackinator, you know. Read the Barbarian. Oh, like, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Read, read the Barbarian. Yes. Re-read. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome. Welcome. You like Batman, like Ernest, you will find any way <laughs> to sneak Arnold into the, <laughs> into the fear of God. I love canon. him so much. Uh, <laughs> I love him. I only amuse myself, but, but I love it. Before we get to it, okay. it's business time. A we business. got some announcements it's to business get to. Time. Is is oh is I can't I'm not even gonna bother. It's all right. We'll get there. Maybe later. <laughs> okay. We got a new book club coming up, Riri. Mm. It's book club. Book club. Oh. Ah. Well, oh my gosh. <laughs> Arnold just ate the book. Took a bite out of the book. <laughs> it's like Cookie Monster over there. Um, oh man. So we got book club coming up. I I'm struggling with my words. Help me. <laughs> I need to get foils for out and find some new words. Um. <laughs> So, a couple months ago, uh, a month ago, time is a face on the water. I don't know what day it is. Uh, we covered our first installment of Book Club with Lovecraft Country, which, by the way, we're not doing a What You're Watching this episode, but Lovecraft Country is a pretty baller show, really. It's a fantastic show. It's great. It's um, so, we covered uh, the book Lovecraft Country with author Matt Ruff. Uh, unfortunately, we will not be interviewing Ray Bradbury coming up. But no, for our second installment of Book Club, we are covering in October the novel Something Wicked This Way Comes. As we get a little closer, uh, perhaps even starting next week, we'll lay out a little bit of what that uh, breakdown will be will look like since we'll be doing it in sections. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Not to be confused with Inception. <laughs> um, <laughs> what in, else addition, you got, in addition to that, man, we failed to highlight it last week. Uh, but No, no, no. It's okay. But uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times. We have just passed our fourth anniversary, which is really, really crazy. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> it's crazy. We've been doing, oh the, doing this for four years. So, um, But uh, in August was our fourth anniversary, and we are coming up on our 200th episode, which is a very, very exciting landmark. We're excited. We hope you're excited. Our 200th formal episode is just like six-ish weeks away, so we would love to have as part of that, um, we would love to sample in some audio from your uh, reactions, responses, thoughts, feelings about the fear of God in general. Why do you listen to us? Why do you still listen? Uh, what got you into it? Has it made any version of, of impact on you? Um, what is a favorite episode? So what you can do is you just send us a brief voice memo recorder. Try to keep it no more than maybe uh, under a minute, 30 to 45 seconds. Um, but uh, yeah, just send us your brief thoughts. We would love to have those and we will incorporate them. Uh, that That's a big key. We are asking you directly to send us these sound bites send them to fear of god podcast at gmail.com we'd like to receive them in these next few weeks so that we can incorporate them into our 200th episode if you would be so kind we would greatly appreciate which is it. like six episodes yeah right. exactly it's like right on the cusp so um so please send i the feel like memo. i feel like we are 
dancing down the song line <laughs> for the flood that's coming. Yes. And yes. trying to either incite it or stave it off. I just don't know. Um, exactly. Speaking of things you can send to us, we also, uh, our ongoing want is your rendition of what you're watching, reading, listening to. We featured last week uh, uh, one of our favorite Canadians, Brent Westerink, <laughs> um, longtime listener to the show, who uh, sang a lovely little ditty version of what you're watching, reading, listening to. We featured a, a number of these at this point. We will continue to feature those. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We've got a few left in the bank that we haven't gotten to yet. Absolutely. But we'd love to have you join the chorus. What else you got, Reed? All right. So some of you, especially even those who have been uh, around for a long time, or even if you're a relatively new listener, you may not know, then we have a really uh, cool Facebook group uh, where some vibrant conversation takes place every single week. Um, it's often afoot regarding things that we are uh, not covering here. Uh, very recently, uh, one of our longtime listeners, Dave Courtney, uh, delivered a, a, just a beautiful sequence of thoughts on faith and fear uh, that was exclusive to the Facebook group. So um, by all means, if you have a Facebook uh, account, then please come over and join us at the Fear of God Facebook discussion group. Uh, We would love for you to take part of it because obviously this is not the end of the conversation. So we would love to have you part of that. Come join the fun. That was clever. That was clever. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that was business time. That was business time. You know what time it is right now? What time is it? Time for a little bit of Jack and Avery. Oh my gosh. (coughs) What is this? Today, we're going back, not so much to Jarden, but into The Leftovers, where we're going to cover episodes three and four of season three. That would be episode three, Crazy Whitefella Thinking, featuring the one and only Kevin Senior. And episode four, G'day Melbourne, my favorite morning show in Melbourne. And uh, we're going to be looking a little bit at uh, what's been going on down under with uh, Kevin Sr. and uh, with Nora and Kevin Jr. on a little, little jaunt, little jaunt to the uh, to the Outback. So that is going to be TV guideposts right now, straight into your ears. Riri, I feel like. The music, what do you feel like? The music that we normally have under that will just not fit. It's got to have a... <laughs> you got your didgeridoo <laughs> under, underlaying the uh, you know, the TV guy post oh music. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Reed. Lord. Yes. Crazy white fella thinking. Okay. That's you. Wow. So, How do you feel about these couple of episodes? So I I do have some thoughts. Um, I will I will lead with a very strong statement. Uh-oh. It's just the two of us here. Just, I know, but I think Crazy White Fellow Thinking is my least favorite episode of The Leftovers. I think uh, of the show, not of a season. I right. think it's my least favorite episode of the show. I love Scott Glenn. I love him. He's a great performer. He's interesting to watch. There are some really great moments in this episode. But all things considered, I think it's it's the least favorite for me because of how much work it is. Like it's a lot of work, and it is, is such it a lot of work. It's, it's a lot you of work. Push a little girl down a wheel, but you can't. Watch Why are you talking like this? Of- Going to be this Australian versus Arnold? <laughs> oh boy! Oh my god! <laughs> people, people tune it's the in. Australian versus the Austrian. People- <laughs> They just shut off this episode They're like this. I know what I'm getting for the rest of the episode. No, thank you. 
<laughs> so, so um but no i like it's just um i mean it's not that what's happening in the episode is not interesting but just when i think about there were only eight episodes in the season and in the breadth of, and, and it is it does establish some important things for where things are going but like an entire episode dedicated to this particular journey just feels a bit um laborious it doesn't even feel uh like trivial it feels like they were really going for something but it just is so much work for me if i'm just being honest wow that's hey yeah can't be honest with me <laughs> and all the people who can who can you be honest, who can with you be honest um i you know I, I, to me it's hard to say to use qualifiers like good bad um just in general i try to be more open than that mm. Reed. um but mm. no um so i'll be open Lord help us. Um, I I would agree with you that it's a very out of the box episode. It, it requires a lot of buy in. Now, watching it this time through, I actually was struck because maybe there was a moment halfway through it was where I was like, "Why am I being asked to watch this?" <laughs> Which <laughs> sounds really. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, who did this? <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't understand. <laughs> You're just looking around like. Whose <laughs> idea was this? <laughs> we made like, a terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Because um, here's the thing. Like, uh, I think of. Is it uh, Across the Sea? The yes. End is lost? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it takes more work for me to enjoy Across the Sea, the Lost episode, than it does for me to enjoy Crazy Whitefield, I think. Interesting. It, okay. Yeah. Um, though I do think they're similar in terms yes, of I'd agree. Yeah. Ener- energy and yes. what they ask. Mm-hmm. But my what I was trying to say about <laughs> why am I being asked to watch this <laughs> wasn't. Why did we choose to do this together? <laughs> it was more just, okay, this is so out of the box. Um, you know, what, what, what should I take away? And the two primary notes for me were one, however out of the box, however maybe challenging, it's really a beautiful episode. Like mm. it is from a pure s- cinematography standpoint. It's gorgeous. That it is, is like undeniable. a yeah. mini movie. Yeah. And I think that may have been part of where they were leaning was let's just really go for it because the value of an episode like this to what we have come to find around how he did Watchmen, a thinker like Lindelof, a creative like Lindelof mm-hmm. is he's trying to not just touch and go when he's talking about another cultural Right, right. Cultural insight. Right. So, so I found once, because I'm with you, like it's, it's a lot. It is a, it's a, it's, I don't even know runtime wise, but it feels like a long episode. Um, there's a couple of very extended monologues in it. Yes. Um, that are very interesting, uh, but are, are less entertaining than they are interesting. And for an hour plus episode, you kind of, of, of a character that isn't one of your primaries, um, yeah. Entertaining would be helpful. <laughs> um, but I just think I kept leaning on, it's like I said last week, this episode 
is in a nutshell one of those aspects of the show is really reaching high now yeah will they occasionally miss miss to me implies sort of creative failure on the reach Mm -hmm. i don't actually see it that way Mm -hmm. i think it's just for what they're after i mean the law enforcement officer uh no it's when sharon reads his charges yes um and says appropriation of sacred ceremonies without permission theft of creation songs i mean those two just nuggets of information are so explosive to i think what this season at least on its periphery is after which is religion appropriation within that religion yeah like colonization like all these massive ideas that they try to distill yeah into an hour with scott glenn which is really hard sure um because i did find that pretty fascinating Mm -hmm. i mean they are not shying away from as the title suggests a crazy white person going to a foreign country utterly as they describe it stealing yes the essence of their faith yes and appropriating it for himself yeah like that's a really interesting conversation that i'm with you gets a little mired in just a little bit of pedantic viewing sure sure and it's it, that, was a, that was a lot no so. i no i i i would agree with all of it and and like um he he genuinely is positioning himself as kind of this motif of a white savior and, yes. and all of yeah. all of that it, it's it's got all of those things on its mind you mentioned that it's it's cinematic qualities um i i remember seeing this film and i thought about this film because unfortunately it being the only film of this kind that i've seen it's what i always think of whenever something takes place in the australian outback there's a film from 1971 uh directed by nicholas rogue i honestly would not remember much about the details of it but it's called walkabout um and i did find it's also the episode the name the title of the john Locke episode that's true third, um, third or fourth episode that is true um but uh i did in my little trivial bit digging found out that that like the actor who plays uh christopher sunday david gulpalil is uh, he's he was a performer in that 71 huh. film um and it would not surprise me in the slightest that uh he if if there was an intentional sort of design to recreate the the feel or the pattern of of that film uh just but again i've seen so few films that take place in the australian outback it's probably walkabout and crocodile dundee so it's not there's did you, you ever know. see the proposition oh i always forget that's about it. i always forget that that's, that's what, in flight. the australian oh my gosh it's a wonderful film that's a yeah. oh man that's a Powerful, powerful film. Guy I'm Pierce. Happy to have reminded you. Of oh, that. that's a wonderful film. We um, watch that soon. Um, yeah, but uh, but and and there are you know like I'm 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 ragging on the film. There are some or on the film. I'm ragging on the episode. There are some really powerful and and pretty hard to forget moments in it. Uh, I mean, obviously the man emolating himself. Um, like, jeez, that's what a scene that out. Of, okay. I'm glad you brought that one up because, and I do think it's immolating, but, um, uh, uh, I I should look in foil. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> just Arnold trying to burp up some words. Um, uh, <laughs> golly. Um, uh, I think I mentioned last week how the Nora and then, oh, at the end of episode two, how if you've seen it before and you know the stuff, it's a little less invigorating as much as just, oh, yeah, I remember how this plays out. Right. Um, right. That said, the immolation scene is so arresting yeah. because it is literally without context. It's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With context, it's insane. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, it's like true. you at yeah. least know the context. Yeah. Um, right. But I, I, that scene is crazy. Yeah. Um, I will say this and we, we, you know, we can hang out more in this episode if we want to or not, but I will give props. They, I do think as little entertainment as this episode yields, it is a very interesting episode and the things they go after, a lot of them they achieve. They mm-hmm. shoehorn this character, Grace, out of nowhere yeah. and give her one of the most emotionally mm. wrenching monologues mm. of any character in anything ever. Oh my gosh. My note right here says it's a scene that that if anything makes the effort of this episode worth getting to, it's that scene. That's it's I unbelievable. Mean, it's powerful. It's really powerful. And if you're not watching the show, one, come on. Come on. <laughs> uh but two, uh Scott Glenn, Kevin Senior runs into this Australian woman, elder Australian woman Grace, and she is who we see drown the Australian sheriff Kevin of the previous episode. And yes. she delivers this just dreadful monologue about how, and she was a person of deep Christian faith and she was away from the house. They had five kids. She and her husband had five kids, at least one, maybe two of which were adopted. Um, she was away from the house when the departure happened and she comes home and finds all their Bibles in the little chapel they'd built on their property and takes great comfort in thinking they have been taken in the biblical rapture. Yeah. Right. And this is at about the middle of her monologue. It makes this turn and she starts getting very emotional because then the authorities, however long later reach out to her saying they found bones Mm -hmm. on her property. Mm. And, and the, the, ultimate end of the story is that what actually happened is the dad got taken in the departure. The kids without a parent think mom got taken too. sit around and wait and then leave. So all the kids got left and then wander into the, the wilds of the outback and die. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and she ends her monologue with this, wrenching line i never even considered searching for them Mm. and says more or less of her faith it was just a story it was all just a stupid silly story well because Um, she ties because she's tied she also ties it directly sure to uh and and it is yeah it's a lengthy scene but basically like then what coalesces is she sees kevin senior and she, you know, finds this sheet of paper in his hand, and the sheet of paper in his hand is a fragment from the book of Kevin that Matt Jameson is writing and has sent him, presumably, a copy of. 
And so then he's he's got this pay, page in his hand, and that the text of that page is what Grace has used to, you know, uh, <laughs> fundamentally drown the sheriff, believing he's going to come right back from the dead. And right. and so it is this powerful examination of all of the ways in which, like, and th- th- you you said it last week, like the the show is is aiming for uh, the exercise practice inception uh, embracing of religious thought uh all the ways that we cope with belief and unfulfilled expectations and devotion to that belief um and it's it, it is a really really affecting it's a really affecting story um, that honestly, yeah. I think is too big for for even one conversation to fully. I, I have a feeling we're going to be referencing that narrative for many, many episodes to come because it's uh, yeah, it's very, very uh, well, yeah, compelling. And the that ain't right camp is that darn snake bite. Oh my gracious! Gosh. Oh, it's terrible. I was just like, oh my lord, I hate snakes. You feel? Yeah. <laughs> I hate All right, Indy. Um. um you feel like moving into good yeah. member? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's leave it. So, so in in contrast to my feelings on crazy white fella thinking, like one of the things that I wrote down about Good Day Melbourne is Good Day Melbourne um, is um, <laughs> is that this is a really, really well scripted and plotted episode. Narrative wise, it's not my favorite episode of the season. Um, certainly not of the show, but narr- But like, it's probably the best singular narrative of any episode because there's a lot going hey, on spoil it for me which is your favorite episode of the season have we gotten to it yet uh we have not gotten to it but my but I, i'll tell you uh my yeah. uh, although the name of it eludes me my favorite episode sure. of the season is the is the lori episode that is coming up that is mm-hmm. that's that's my favorite yeah. episode of the season um but yeah so so good day melbourne is following nora and kevin as they traverse through um, Australia for their own particular reasons, and it bounces back and forth. Kevin is essentially there just to accompany Nora. Nora is there to pursue the lead on that she received from Mark Lynn Baker about the possibility of another departure, them harnessing this radiation and putting her in a device that's going to send her forth. And so you're simultaneously following Kevin, who is just presumably starts there just hanging out to hang out with Nora and just get away from Jarden. Um, and then you're also following Nora who is actively pursuing this lead that she's got. Uh, and, and I think just again, plot wise, plotting wise, scripting narratively, it's, it's one of the tightest episodes because it's really propulsive, although it is emotionally devastating, particularly uh, towards the end. Uh, but no, th- I mean, this is a really affecting and very powerful episode. Yeah, I think all of the Nora stuff in this one is pretty strong. If I'm perfectly honest, the Kevin story is one of, if I had to critique season three, Kevin's presence in Australia in this episode feels like, okay, we need to give something Kevin something to do. Mm, I understand that. Yep, It feels a little less purposeful yeah uh, it feels more it feels more if this were an on-running ongoing show it's just another episode of the adventures of 
uh, a brain broken Kevin. Because you know? yeah, because kind of by definition, it's a regression for him. It's not a pa- it's not yeah. a push forward. Yeah, uh, which you could um, argue it is for Nora as well. But North Nora is moving towards something where Kevin sure. is just sort of in stasis. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to throw this line at this this back and forth dialogue and then prop up a conversation starter here what if they ask why i came with you kevin is on the plane nora oh i'll tell them you've come to send me off because we're in a toxic codependent relationship and we both realized we're better off apart than we are together oh my gosh yes good lord nora um i referenced this last week and i want to hear your thoughts on this because you this is your now third time watching this season through um as you constantly reminded us um Watching this episode again for the second time, I was a little struck for all of the emotional energy and investment and love I have for this series and for the characters of Nora Durst and Kevin Garvey. It felt like a fast move from fraying on the edges mm-hmm. to where this episode ends. Is, is that? That's, would you echo I that? would completely echo that. So, in many ways, the third season as a whole, and I said this, I think, in an earlier episode while we were making our way through it, the third season as a whole feels to me very much like an epilogue. It feels like a, like a, a hey, let me show you in brief succession all the things that happened to our characters after the events of season two. And, right. and I feel like it doesn't always take you on that journey with them as much as just sort of show you that's where they got. Yes. And, and I do agree, like... They're there, and I get that it's an illusion, but their affection for one another in the first episode to get here when neither of them have really like done anything to transgress against the right. other is, is a, it's a big ask. So, yeah. well, and, and this is where I wonder about just the mechanics of, you know, you asked this last week, why the eight versus the 10, who knows? But, um, I think another, even just one more episode of them. That, that charts us that, that helps us a little further along in the fracturing of their relationship mm-hmm. helps because what's hard is that's a hell of a scene. It is. Uh, it's, powerful. it's amazingly yeah. crafted. It's amazingly performed. It's yeah. devastating from a character standpoint. No, absolutely. I'm just left thinking, wow, that was fast. <laughs> yeah. Right. I understand. Um, and it reminds me, it reminds me, this is a random aside here it reminds me of the last season of game of thrones where if you tell someone the events of the last season of game of thrones you're like that's kind of cool but then so much is just squished into the runtime right that it's like right. oh my gosh you're, you guys are just literally blazing through story i don't feel that level of that with leftovers but specifically the the relationship of nora and kevin feels like it goes from a hundred to zero super fast. Yeah, I agreed. And really the only place that I could point to and identify as like a kind of a big offensive rift with them is the episode uh, two episodes ago when Kevin emotionally says he wants to have a baby with Nora and then she sure. laughs at yeah. him, which she does apologize for and the apology feels sincere. But that moment you can really tell something is kind of like breaking down between the pair of right. them. Yeah. Um, but I say that, and it is actually Kevin in this episode who sort of shatters it all. Like it's his commentary sure. yeah. that, 
that really just breaks it all. Like you don't get more more volcanic of a line uh, than saying like, then you should go be with them. You know, right. like referencing your kids, referencing your kids, been yeah, evaporated to a potentially other dimension. Yes, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, well, yeah. it's funny you say it that way because one thing that has been subconsciously pinging me for episodes one and two is how Kevin, other than like the Evie, I, and I don't, I know that I know about what Kevin's interior life sort of materializes at in by the end of the season, so I kind of know where it's going there or I recall where it's going, but in terms of real world, Kevin, he feels about as put together as he's been in a long time. Sure. And so to your point, this does feel a lot like Nora's season to, to lose. Yes. (laughs) You Mm know, and, and so it is a little, it's sober. Kevin shattering her illusion of herself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that kind of leaves it. And I mean, again, it's great. You got Mm -hmm. take on me making multiple mm. appearances in this episode. You've got yeah. take on me leaving us out of the episode with one of the most gorgeously framed and shot images in any yes. with the, yep. the water dripping from her head, from her eye lash, uh, her eyelid. But emotionally it's like, Hey guys, guess what? These guys are terrible for each other. <laughs> it's like, oh, no kidding. No kidding. They got there quick. Um, <laughs> the only other real note, I've got other notes, but the only other real one I want to point out is, uh, we hold my, hold my baby reminds me of Claire from lost. She's always talking about my the baby. baby, my, my baby. baby, my Charlie, Charlie. I want some peanut butter. Charlie, give me some, <laughs> hold my baby. The little turnip head. When, when she the had woman, more. <laughs> no, she didn't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that really she- was the sum of her, <laughs> sum of her existence. My baby. My <laughs> baby. <laughs> She seems like an old lady version Because <laughs> that's oh. how she still is. Like, on in the yeah. years. She's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, baby. Um, <clears throat> it's been another episode of TV Guideposts. Uh, specifically wow. reading these... T- these <laughs> specifically, specifically visiting the Down Under uh, with some wallabies and... Uh, some kangaroos and a little few little joeys here and there and uh you know it's it's been a good time watching some g'day melbourne catching up with the crew uh and uh however it's been a very difficult run for kevin senior got snake bit got laid out under a crucifix got found by a crazy woman and uh you know then it was a really rough go for kevin jr and nora as their relationship falls apart in the blink of an eye but uh tune in next week when uh, things will happen that I'm not quite privy to because I haven't watched ahead yet. But uh, we'll see you next time on uh, TV Guideposts. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted, while I was doing my monologue there, to signal to you to keep going, but I didn't want to break. I didn't want to break character. And and that's the only reason I stopped is because I was like, he will never get through this if he did. If I did. Oh man! So, bring us in, man. So here we have. I've I've looked for the excuse to bring. We brought him on with Predator. We brought him (laughs) on with the Running Man. I always love spending time with Arnold Schwarzenegger on this pod. I wonder. It's really great. Steve Beckley, I know you're listening. (laughs) I want some sort of chart. Gosh, I wish I were a graphic designer.
<laughs> I want a chart of repeat appearances in Fog Cannon. Patrick Wilson is probably leading a bit. Yeah. He's, with he's conjuring, right both yes. conjurings and insidious. Is there something beyond those two? Mm, bon mm, hard candy. Hard candy. Yeah. There's four right there. Arnold's at three. I don't know if there's any well, others. Conjuring, Insidious, and Bone Tomahawk. And but oh, Patrick's at five. Yeah, so Patrick's at five. But yeah, Arnold's, Arnold's, Arnold's at, three. at three, and it's going to be hard pressed. I mean, it's, we're not going to do the Kindergarten Cop episode. Like that's not going <laughs> to that's not going to happen. <laughs> what about twins? No, my do twins. Junior. <laughs> that is a horror movie. It is. It's. <laughs> I don't want. We that. could do Junior. There could be a case for Total Recall, but it'd be a slim one. Um, but total- would it slimmer than? Terminator? It's no slimmer than Running Man. Slimmer than Terminator, but no yeah. slimmer than Running Man. So, yeah. Well, Running Man had that exploding head. <laughs> oh, boy. That's enough. That's enough to get anything consideration on the fear of God. <laughs> you oh, someone's head explodes? Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. No problem. I don't know. Conan, Conan the Barbarian. The first one has got Kernan? some. Conan? Conan <laughs> <Kernan> the Barbarian. <laughs> I've never seen Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, the is first, it good? Yeah, I mean, I I like it. What's really f- interesting is like Conan the Barbarian is like hard R, and Conan the Destroyer is PG. <laughs> and Whoa, like, yeah, and it's like it's the tonal difference between the two. Like Conan the Barbarian is like grimy, very graphic. It's got it, it's got everything that you could possibly imagine in terms of like violence and nudity and 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 sort of uh well he is the sumerian isn't he he, yes yeah yeah. i mean he's like it it is very i'm not using this word tongue-in-cheek it is very barbaric in some of its sensibilities conan the destroyer feels very much (laughs) (laughs) um conan the conan the destroyer feels very much like it was trying to be a bit more accessible kind of fantasy i don't know about family friendly but like i know but um but I mean, to 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 speak honestly to it, like I feel like it was trying very hard to be more in the fantasy camp. Not that Conan the Barbarian is not a fantasy, but it was trying very hard to be like, well, let, let's let's raise it up a little bit. There's like there's wizards and there's uh, there's a, a little bit more like fantastical elements to it in terms of the plot and and the mechanics of it all. David um, Bowie. He's. Uh, d- I don't think I'm kidding. I was making a labyrinth reference. Oh, there you go. Um, But no, uh, there's Arnold will make another appearance. We'll, we'll find justification to bring Arnold back. But, um, but no, I remember. He did tell us he would be. (laughs) So, so I, um, I can remember very distinctly. It was off pod. Actually, it might've been briefly on pod, but, Blink and you miss it if it was on pod. I can remember very specifically we had a conversation about like Terminator. I think it was on pod because I think it was when Terminator made one of the top horror films of the year, uh, uh, like in the 80s. I think it was in the the top favorites of of people's horror films of the 80s. I I don't remember the... Or was it in Monster Mash? It might have been in Monster Mash as well, but... uh, Regardless, what are you trying to tell me? Uh, but I remember there was an actual brief discussion about like, well, Terminator's not really a horror film. Like, and and what's really interesting is I want to I want to know your thoughts on this. We'll get into some trivial bits and get into the like my very specific question because I know you've seen it before and the Terminator lore is everywhere. Like, I don't even know if you went into it with this thought, but assess the Terminator as a horror film. Like, do you think that's a stretch? Is it a and not justifying its presence on the pod, just in general? Like, could you kind of see sort of the horror sensibilities, some of the horror tropes, um, or was that just completely foreign element? Uh, you know, I, I'm not enough of a 
cinephile to have the language to distinguish pure sci-fi versus horror or horror sci-fi blend or whatever. But, you know, could you make the case that Sarah Connor in this film, at least as a final girl, could you, you know, I mean, there's definitively some body horror taking place roughly in the middle with the, Mm -hmm. his, his surgical skin suit falling apart. Mm -hmm. That's disgusting. Um, it's pretty gross. You know, I think, the android version by the end is meant to have a almost Michael Myers esque kind of sure. quality yes. to it. You yeah. like how I just did that? I did. I did. I I'm like it. Pretty good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> Four yeah, years I mean, in. I think, I think at first it was probably me who, when you're like Terminator's horror, and I'm like <laughs> dumb. <laughs> That's kind um, of. It's, it's almost that's exactly how it went. Did you listen to the episode? <laughs> <laughs> I just love the thought that in your head, this is how you remember most of our interactions. Is like Reed offers kind of, "Hey Nathan, um, so what about uh, such and such?" And I'm just like, "No, you dummy," you know, and like that's our relationship. It really isn't. We've got four no. years of re- right, right. We've got <laughs> four years of recorded conversations testifying otherwise. No, exactly. That said, it is worth mentioning. <laughs> I had a moment watching it where I was like, have I seen this? <laughs> Why do I have to watch this? <laughs> who's, who's asking me to watch this? Who's no, me to watch this? I literally, because there were moments where there were scenes happening. I was like, I don't remember this at all. Well, um, so here's what I thought. And I don't tell me, I don't know this to be true, but I think this happens a lot with people. I, I could be wrong about this, but I think a don't, lot of times don't be- do it. What? Don't make me think I've seen something I haven't seen. No, 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 no. So pop culture. No, because well, but that's my my feeling is when people think of Terminator, I think most of their mind goes to Terminator Two, and I think because Terminator Two was so culturally saturated, I feel right. like Terminator Two overshadows the Terminator. Not that, like, in other words, I don't doubt you've seen it. But I, I, even myself, this is probably maybe, (laughs) (laughs) but even myself, this is probably my, my second or third time. It's definitely at least third seeing the original Terminator. I, I, there was so much of it that I was like, oh yeah, I didn't remember this. I didn't remember this, but I have such a strong memory for Terminator 2. And, and so that just makes it feel like that's more the cultural footprint. Real directly. I was like, Sarah Connor ain't no server. Get out of here with that <laughs> stupidity. Like what? I'm picturing yes, to your to your point here. I'm picturing Sarah Connor's post apocalyptic vision of the holding the playground right, which is a terminator know, fence too. and right, incineration right. happening. Uh but yeah, I was really struck because I was like, ah, I think I saw this. <laughs> but scenes would happen, I'm like, don't remember that one. No, nope. Don't nope. remember that one. Nope. Oh, there's um, Arnold. I remember him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy. I know this guy. <laughs> and what's but, funny. No, you. No. You. No. No. You. <laughs> you. So, and I was just going to say what's so funny is <laughs> in Terminator 2, because he's the good guy, it's like a bit challenging to really sort of recalibrate your brain to be like, oh, he's the antagonist because he's just. He's just Arnold in this, you know, like he's, he delivers a really good performance for what he's being asked to do, but he's, uh, you know, he's just very, it, it, again, it is hard to dissociate 
that like, oh, no, this is because there's a moment in Terminator 2 that I feel is lost on people if they did not actively like consciously watch Terminator before seeing Terminator 2. And that's when Sarah is in the uh, institution and she's running towards the elevator and suddenly Arnold comes off of the elevator. And when Arnold comes off of the elevator, she has an extreme terrified reaction, begins rapidly trying to run the other way. And the scene doesn't have its resolution until Arnold finally leans forward and says the line that Kyle Reese says to her in this, where he says, come with me if you want to live. Yeah. And and that yeah. moment, the, the, the gravity of that moment. <laughs> when, it, when Kyle says it in the first one, I was like, ah. That's not. <laughs> nah. That ain't no couple of me if it. you want to live. You don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got Next. this. But um so so yeah, I feel like a lot is kind of lost just because I mean, I I saw Terminator 2 before I saw Terminator. Um so, I'm yeah. willing I'm willing to say there's a chance I had not seen the Terminator. <laughs> I'm willing to entertain the possibility that but I see, did what's not funny see. is I knew, um, I knew the major beats. Like I knew mm-hmm. the future John Connor is the the progeny of these two. Right, 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 right. You know, I mean, so much of the imagery is iconic of him in the police station with the sunglasses. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. Right. You know, him driving the car through the police station. Yes. Uh, the some of the final showdown. So yeah, I, I do think I have. But I also mm-hmm. think because fifty percent of the damn movie read, I was like, mm, <laughs> I don't recognize that. <laughs> they got a, to the future like, really? with the mechs and stuff. I was like, oh, that's new. <laughs> this del- must be the director's cut. Scene? <laughs> Did Reed sneak a deleted scene in this? All of a director's cut. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've seen the descent. I know what's going on here. <laughs> He's all the time fooling. I know you were scared when I mentioned the multiple cuts on Anna and the Apocalypse last week. Um, oh, God. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so let's, let's get to a couple of trivial bits and we'll get into the, more of the meat of the oh. film. Um, so, unless that felt jarring to you to just be. It like, did, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, Reed, just take <laughs> the conversation. Love to, you love to let the conversation go where it will. Right. And then you're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'll be back. Let's back out. So, um, okay. So, I had a couple of things I thought was interesting. So, uh, obviously, Stan Winston, who's come up on the show before, uh, but uh, he does the makeup effects for this. It was actually Rob Botton who, uh, or Botine, I always don't, I don't remember how to say his name. Uh, he was originally offered the makeup effects job, but he couldn't because he was finishing up work on the thing for John Carpenter. Um, so another effects legend, Dick Smith, was asked, but he turned it down because he thought he wasn't right for the material and suggested Stan. And that would become a collaborative partnership and a friendship between Stan Winston and James Cameron that you know, that maintained until Stan Winston's death in 2008. Um, I wrote this down because I thought it was cool. Arnold only played a villain, has only played a villain three times in his career. So one of them was in this film in the first Terminator. One of them is a post politics film that I'm, that I'm actually not going to name. Post politics film? Post Arnold's politics when he was in the, uh, when he was the governor and, and got out of politics. Uh, there's a film that he made post that season and that I'm actually not going to say which one it is because him being the villain is actually a pretty major spoiler for the film. So I'm not going to mention which one that one is. Um, I'd love to do that. I do. I do. Hey, listeners can do the digging if you want to find out which one it is. Uh, but do you know the other one that I'm referring to where he's the villain? Uh, jingle all the way. <laughs> no, although he's pretty, <laughs> he's pretty, he's pretty, 
pretty oh, upsetting. Oh, hang on. Oh, oh, Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin. Yeah, all yeah, those yeah. Mister Freeze ice puns. Um, so uh, it's this is a long known, uh, widely told story, but. Arnold was originally pushed on James Cameron as a, as to play Kyle Reese. That was who they wanted him to play. Wow. James Cameron actually only met with Arnold reluctantly and planned. This is wild. He planned to go in and pick a fight with him so that he could go back and say he was too difficult to work with and they could not uh, not cast him in the role. So what? Personality type wise, that feels like your buddy who wants people to poop their pants. It's like, what are you <laughs> Why is that your starting point, That's James? What you go to. Like, right. come on, right. come on. Yeah, you know, Jack and Rose. There the are other ways started, to do this. Made Jack and Rose. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You <laughs> don't pick a fight with Arnold. No. Um, but what's funny is that so when they had lunch, he and Arnold hit it off like right away. And to Cameron's surprise and I guess delight, Arnold actually came into the lunch meeting wanting to pitch that he should play the Terminator. And when he started in on that. Cameron saw it like right away and thought this is this would be great if he would play the Terminator instead. But Arnold's agents were telling him like, no, don't do this. That's a bad idea because they didn't want him to play a villain. And so then, of course, that, you know, he and Cameron kind of teamed up to make that happen. And it, I mean, arguably defined his career um, because like it didn't launch it. Conan the Barbarian definitely launched like his acting stardom. But Terminator, like, you know, would would then it is arguably his most iconic role is the Terminator. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I just thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so, so that's, I mean, I have a couple more trivial bits, but I don't want to, I don't want to saturate. Well, no, share. I, I don't know. So, I'm feeling shy. Like Kyle, like Kyle Reese, I will take a nap for a minute <laughs> in the car and <laughs> daydream of the future. Okay, so. Well, you. <laughs> I, I will mention that, like, when, <laughs> before Arnold was cast as the Terminator, the candidates for the Terminator were like virtually a who's who of stars from the late 70s and early 80s. Everybody from Tom Selleck. <laughs> yes, sure. Um, everybody from Tom Selleck to Harrison Ford to John Travolta. Like, can you imagine Harrison Ford as the Terminator? No. It would have been just uh, dramatic. I can imagine that more than I can John Travolta. Yeah, John Travolta. Um, they even. Well, it's funny to Michael even Keaton. ponder that. What? Considering Michael Keaton as well. Michael Keaton was in the running. Hmm. Mm. It's funny to ponder that with what you just said of Cameron was considering Arnold for Reese. And it's like, that's going to be a real short movie. <laughs> if if it's like you send, you send Michael Keaton, the Terminator, against Arnold Schwarzenegger, the human. It's like, ah. That, to that toaster's toast. <laughs> you know, he's done. Uh, yeah, it's true. Um, what else you got, Ruby? Have you ever seen this? Is my what? final one. Have you ever seen, well, either the TV show or the '70s film Westworld? Have you seen or heard of them? Neither. Well, of course, I've heard of them. Oh, no, fine. I haven't seen That's them. A bit. You haven't seen them. Can so, I, read? I love, <laughs> I love the film from the '70s, Westworld. It was written and directed really? by yeah. It was written and directed by Michael Crichton of Jurassic Park fame. Um, and uh, now, what did he? write the book and there's a movie adaptation or it's a movie no, first he, he he wrote the screenplay and directed the screenplay for it interesting and so clever um, girl clever girl um get it? but <laughs> i do i i caught that reference <laughs> um <laughs> so um so the um but what's interesting is you know, obviously those fans of maybe fans of the HBO show, the more recent HBO show would know this already. But Westworld, you know, the film from the 70s is about robotic cyborgs who malfunction and begin to attack the tourists. 
Um, but uh, I just so this film owes a lot just idea wise and structure wise to Westworld, although it could be argued argued by me from time to time that Whoa. the entirety of the entire trope within the horror genre of the unstoppable killer owes itself to Westworld because that was the first that's the earliest instance that I can remember cinematically of a killer who just literally cannot be stopped you just mow him down time after time and he's going to keep coming after you uh, which is certainly present in this first i thought i was film. showing some horror acumen referencing the michael myers earlier oh. and you're like no nathan whoever <laughs> 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 uh. preceding michael myers is the cyborgs from Westworld. <laughs> the degree of accents that we've <laughs> <laughs> exhibited in this episode is just untenable. It has been a long day, brother, and I'm uh-huh. glad I'm here with you. So, are you done? I'm done. I'm done. Okay, but I'll be back. There- <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> help me. Um, the future of this movie takes place in 2029. I know that's so close. It's so close. That is. It so actually. Close. I don't know. Well, depend- I believe it. Depending on how things go. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to fall into a black hole of mechanized oh, law enforcement. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> man, that is one buff naked dude. <laughs> Are you talking about our <laughs> Who else? What? Did you think there was someone behind you right now while we're recording? Look out, Reed. Look out. Look out. <laughs> oh my gosh yes so um yeah so arnold in his and then, peak physique my next note is that is one not quite as buff naked dude <laughs> <laughs> he's fit he's fit he's got like i didn't say he wasn't fit he's, got he's not cut he ain't buff he's not though. arnold no, no no arnold is michael's, an imposing michael, presence michael's beans um <laughs> do you notice wow. you know? <laughs> and arnold schwarzenegger's <laughs> you see old bill paxton I did, yeah. And yeah. what's interesting is I remembered the trivial bit from another place where it said that Bill Paxton is the only actor to have been killed by an alien, a predator, and a Terminator. But I didn't in, – in this, I don't think it's very clear that he's killed in this. His buddy is killed. Like, Arnold, like, rips his <laughs> oh, that's heart weird. out. Yeah, but um, but I don't think it's as clear that, that Bill Paxton is killed. I love that you're kind of splitting hairs on that. Like, I know. Yeah, whatever. Just go with it, Reed. Just, just the, the trivia game makers were he's like, dead. I think he's yeah. dead. I think he's Paxton. dead. He's dead. He's the one. Um, yeah. I love the very blatant Nike product placement in the department store <laughs> when you- Bean is getting the shoes and the clothes. Like, dang. Fast as the I mean, Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. It's like this extra second of hold on the shot. It's like... Zzz. You have to expect him okay. to like poke his hand Gotta out. Get those. Yeah, you yeah. have to expect him to like, poke his hand out through like... <laughs> like, now, yeah, I'm, yeah, now yeah. I'm good. When you gotta run away because your clothes got lost Nike. in a temporal displacement. Just do it. <laughs> um, Riri. Nay, nay. This is, this is a movie about killer robots from the future, but the real, the real antagonist. Oh, no. Is little Timmy and his friggin' ice cream in the restaurant. That Get was that so here. mean. Get that out of here. Was so mean. Puts it, like, Get out of here. I'd well, first of all, who wastes ice cream like that? I'm going to play a I, prank wow. and put this. I love like, that that is your takeaway. Well, a little snot nosed kid. It's like Problem Child, the other movie from the 80s. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> you know, I, that other movie from the 80s. <laughs> What's that? When I waited oh, tables Child. back in the day, and this movie made me remind me of this, reminded me of this. When I waited tables 
10 years ago. Mm-hmm. That wasn't that long ago. Uh, yeah. Cause I quit right when our second kid was born and she's about to turn 10. Oh, wow. Um, one of my last days there was like a mother's day or something. Mm-hmm. And mother's days in the restaurant business are particularly chaotic. Oh yeah. And I remember walking past this section that wasn't mine, you know, like, I don't know if you know this, but like in servers, you get your area, right? No, of course. Yeah. And this is a relatively, it's like mid scale steakhouse, nice food, decent place. Mm. I was walking past this table and this older gentleman threw up his hand as I walked past and yelled, waiter. Oh my, yeah. Oh my that God. face you just made. Yeah. It took a whole lot not to be like customer. <laughs> customer. Patrons yeah. are terrible. Yeah, in those settings. Mm-hmm. That little Timmy. I yeah, know. give me flash. Give me a little PTSD there with little Timmy mm, and his sorry ice cream. About that. Yeah, sorry. that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just going down my list here. I love sure. how both Bean and Arnold just use the white pages to find <laughs> their people. I'm like that. Yeah, can't do that anymore. Nope. No. Not that a little bit of work. No, exactly. No, no internet in general. And it's like he, you know, the Terminator systematically executes them. By their order in the phone book, yeah. <laughs> like, she just she just lucked out. Well, that. because here's and what, her last name's Connor too. Is this well, the third one down? But no, but that's the thing is like if you notice, so like it's Sarah Connor, and then it's Sarah Ann Connor, and then it's Sarah J Connor. Well, oh yeah, the yeah. middle the middle name of the very first one is Sarah Louise Connor. So if she had just, you know, it's just those little decisions. If she yeah. had just decided yeah. to include her middle initial in the thing, she would have been third. She'd she would have been, she she been fine. She would have been fine. She wouldn't have been dead. But no, instead she's like, no, no, no. I'm just Sarah Connor. And that's going to get you killed. That kind of <laughs> that kind of attitude is just going to it's just going to get you wiped I wish out one day. The movie Terminator was just a thousand Sarah Connors. <laughs> just like it's literally just rinse, repeat. Sarah Connor. <laughs> Five minutes later, Sarah Connor. <laughs> it's like dead gum. It minutes. might as well have been that for how much of it I remembered. You know, <laughs> the it's robot like, just runs out of fuel. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah Connor? Is, it, is this her yet? You know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anybody? Um, uh, so, Sarah Connor. Um, I love Reed. Mm-hmm. Love. Do you? This is like classic. Oh just boy. Classic 80s screenwriting. I love how Michael Bean jump starts a car. Mm-hmm. And you know that means he's like, it's not his car. It's somebody else's car. Right. He's stealing. You, yeah. you broke into this car. You jump start it. And what does he do next? I don't remember. My man takes a nap. <laughs> really? Yeah. You're going to boost a car and then take a nap before you drive off from the location in which you took it, <laughs> that you, you jump-started. Come on. Like, oh, no concern if the person whose car he's actually trying to boost is going to come back. Nope. Nope. I mean. Takes a nap. That would have been a real short movie. <laughs> it comes back and they're just hey, like, sir, this is my car. What are you doing to my car? <laughs> <laughs> Hi. That's rough. Uh, yeah. Yes. I just love I mean, I like a good nap. But not that good. At least complete your task. <laughs> I mean, what? Drive happened? away for crying out loud! Like yeah. just, just get Take out of the vicinity before you right jumpstart the car. Right. Like right, don't right, break right. into a car if there's if you're under threat <laughs> of immediate narcolepsy. You know, like 
<laughs> so, <laughs> not to mention just, the fact, like, it's not even the car that he's like, while he's snoozing, like, she could be done. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like, he, he is this, like. Why are you Sarah Connor? <laughs> you know? It's he's like, like oh, more, man. Ten more Sarah Connors died. I knew I shouldn't have hit that snooze button. <laughs> for that one nap. Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, look. Yeah. It's, it's like the most run down New York City. It's really funny. You know, people talk about how in, I think, the 90s, New York City had this massive overhaul in terms of cleanliness and all this sort of yes, stuff. Yes, 90s. So, yeah, yeah. I have to believe the pre-90s-ish New York City was a bit more, you know, rough around the edges. Sure. But watching this movie, I was like, there's just nothing here. Like, why would anybody <laughs> ever choose to live here? Like, there's, you know, they're just running through the streets, running through the alleyways. If you're yeah. gonna nap in a car, just nap before you get in the car. You're gonna sure. be fine. Yes, yes. Everything's blue. Like it everything is, is it's so. The well, lightning. Yes. Uh, Bill Paxton's mohawk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it really was. Yes. Um. So I have some. You want me to mention me. a few? Yeah, yeah. please. So, um. Okay. So I do love even from like the opening four minutes. I love the lo-fi '80s vibe to the, to this like it terminator 2 which i keep referencing is like it, it's slicker and it's it's a lot more high what high year end. did this one come out 84 this came out in 84 and terminator 2 and i terminator believe 90 like 92 i want to say oh. like, i think it, so it's a significant difference almost 10 years later well and you can look at the distinct difference or i can like do the, a little bit of math well, but also the span between like Avatar and the inevitable Avatar two sequels Avatar. and everything. <laughs> Avatar. Um, but <laughs> you can look at how long <laughs> building up to episode two hundred is literally just us working to put every fogism into the show. <laughs> every single one. Avatar. Um but uh but no, I love it. Like the synth score, just uh, I just I love this that that whole vibe. And it's easy to forget because of how culturally saturated the Terminator mythos is. But another thing I loved about this is I just loved how long it held back its main conceits. Like you talked about you knew going in the fundamental premise but the film doesn't reveal that until halfway through. Like, you you don't really... If you're watching this for the first time and have been living under a rock and don't know anything about the Terminator franchise, you would not know until halfway through that, like, oh, these people from this other place are from the future and that this guy's come back to kill her because of her son being the war hero of the future. Uh, and I just love that. I just... I, there's a... Because I consider Terminator 2 to be, uh, admittedly, a superior film to this one. Um, I, I think it, there's like, it's a masterclass in action thriller filmmaking. It's nearly perfect, but there's such a simplicity to this story and a directness that I, I just find, I found really appealing this time. I'm just like, this, this is exciting for just how direct and straightforward it is because future installments of the Terminator franchise just almost get buried under the weight of their own self-explanations for why these characters right. are all still around and still messing with each other. So, anyway. <laughs> why are you messing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't... If I'm perfectly honest, I don't think I've seen past the second one. Granted, I thought I'd seen the first one. <laughs> Maybe I have? I don't know. They're not all ice cream. <laughs> yeah, well, sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, the... Well, see, it's funny you say that because I actually think there's a little, a slightly more interesting movie 
without Kyle's flashbacks. Mm, like mm, I mm-hmm. like the idea, but I'm gonna I'm gonna couch here. Okay. That well, that's not exactly what I meant by couch here, <laughs> so I may have just misused misstated what I was trying to <laughs> articulate, but it's late. Um uh I think the I think the I think the third act is really strong. Um, yeah. I think yeah. overall, I found it more just okay than I was hoping for. But part of that, I do think, is the the weight of pop culture bearing sure. down right. rather heavily on it. Mm-hmm. But that said, I don't know, and we can discuss this when we get to themes. I don't know that it rises high above too much at all above its component parts, which is not a sure. robot joke. No, I get it. Yeah. Where I'm going with this is simply to say, it would have been pretty interesting for us to think a good bit longer, if we ever do at all, that Kyle might be crazy. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's a really and, good point. But yeah. when you, and I almost wonder, I didn't do this research, it would make sense to me if it was like a studio thing. Hey, we, you know, throw in some flashbacks for him so we know he's telling the truth or whatever. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. to me, those don't add much. Sure. Um, no, I get ultimately. it. Ultimately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, a much more interesting approach would be make me wonder, like mm-hmm. make me really wonder for a while about the the validity of this guy. I mean, you could even go so far and this would really be getting into it because some of these scenes are great, but you could even go so far as to say like excise the Arnold is a robot types of, of indicators beforehand until it gets to the end where he gets run over by the truck and still stands up and yeah. then you see like yes. in in a world where in a world where you are like you you excise all of the futuristic flashbacks then you you only have blue lightning and naked men are have appeared <laughs> think about that sentence what <laughs> Speaking of dreams, you know, <laughs> blue light is blue lightning, and it just naked men appeared. I didn't know what to do. I was like, what? I was like "Hold what? on, I'll be back. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back. I will come with me if you want to live." Oh my gosh! Mm. So, but no, like again, I, like I'm tracking with you. Like, how much more? interesting or impactful would the film have been if you hold back all of that stuff until the reveal you know and and like play around with it a little bit more is like is this guy crazy or not we know that he is at least interested genuinely in protecting her but is he crazy or is he not and then not reveal until you finally see after he's been run over that that very affecting makeup where like most of his face is gone and there's you know robotic skeleton underneath and that be the big reveal that like, oh, he is not crazy. This thing is after yeah, her. That would yes. be that would be pretty yeah. interesting. I could see I could see a world where that and would be somehow, a much more interesting film. Somehow, I, and again, it's a you know forty year old movie almost at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, what would have been really cool is if somehow you keep me wondering is which one of them is the quote unquote bad guy. Like that would have been a really interesting mm, maneuver to try sure, to pull off right, until right. what you're describing of that reveal, like oh. Uh, Oh God! Yes, you know, and uh, and the the second one d- again. It's like if the second one is the first one you see, it's 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 a little difficult to really grasp this. The second one plays around with that because remembering that 
people who saw the second one for the first time did not know going into it that Arnold is the good guy in that one. So they see him and they see him doing very much the same things that he was doing in this right. film. And it is. And then you see Robert Patrick show up and Robert Patrick right. is a very sort of comparable body type to um, Michael Bean. And so right. then in the moment where you see Edward Furlong, John, you know, young John Connor trapped between the two of them and the scene itself is building up where both of them are pursuing him, much like the techno noir scene in this one. But it's it's not until both of them sort of are at opposite ends of the hall, and Arnold says, "Get down!" That audiences of that mm. time realized, "Oh, Arnold is the protector this time." That was like oh a really big. God. Oh my god! That oh. was like a really big. It was like a really big pivot at the time. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I just yeah, I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. But no, I, I like I'm I'm tracking. Spe- speaking of which, like I mentioned that techno noir scene, and this would be a band. Which one are you talking about? The the scene in the nightclub or like the oh, the yeah, the okay. restaurant which techno noir is like an all, really on the nose name but so the that moment where it's pretty great where like it, the tension is building up as arnold is pursuing closer to her and then uh kyle reese steps in at the last minute and kind of like deflects him um so i i really like that scene a lot my last little note in um uh, in the likes dislikes thing is obviously it's been cliched to bits, but the actual I'll be back moment is pretty cool. Like it's yeah. like, like that, that actual, like that whole I'll be back casually strolling out and then barreling in with his truck or his car or whatever. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool moment versus come with me if you want to live, which is about as limply delivered as <laughs> anything could be. Wow. Like, wow. Oh <laughs> That's how you know it wasn't intended to be the signature line. It was just like, no, just, just, throw, just say it quickly. Just say it. Michael, come on. Gotta get out, go, get, get, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Come if you want to live. That's funny. Like, no, I want to really deliver it with energy and passion. No, <laughs> no, no. Just throw it away. Uh, um, yeah. Now, I will say I felt like Arnold pulled a bit of a Kevin Garvey in The Terminator when uh, he's at Sarah's house for, I'm sorry, he's at her house. Uh-huh. Oh my god! I'm so, I'm so <laughs> br- brain addled right now. Like, right. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> um, uh, so Arnold is at Sarah's house, and you had Matt, the lamp wielding doofus, uh, <laughs> right, right, fail. So she calls. Is you know, leaving a message on that like machine, giant answering machine that's like <laughs> the size of today's laptop. <laughs> right. Um, he hears it. She leaves on that message. I'm gonna call the cops now. Mm. <laughs> she next scene, she's calling the cops, and Arnold's walking in the nightclub. I was like, whoa. <laughs> My man just teleported something fierce. That's my Kevin Garvey reference. <laughs> your, sure, exactly. Your note about him at his house yes. and then at the lake. Supernatural yeah. time management of being yeah, able to just, just like just get there. Naked yeah, man, blue exactly. lightning. So <laughs> when all the blue lightning happened and then the naked man just appeared. <laughs> um do you do you have any scares for this? I have a couple, but hang on. My man no, Kyle Reese done? is throwing is literally throwing dynamite in a backpack. He is actually and actively doing that. How are yes. you missing this? Why are you as not signature this out? fog cannon? That's true. That's At the true. same time, he is terrible with them. 
He sucks <laughs> at throwing, at timing his yes. his dynamite under, sticks. Over, under, over. Um, like what's- I'm actually impressed they kept that many cuts in there. I was like, really? Are you, why are you throwing another <laughs> one? You're not going to hit him. Yeah, and the yeah. Uh, the only time that he actually hits it is when he's like right up on it and just like shoves it in. Like that's yeah. the that's the only yeah. moment. So the um the other piece of that that I think was really funny about the throwing the grenades in the backpack is he cautions her easy easy when yeah. she's putting the cap on, and then he grabs them and just like chucks them in. Wee. <laughs> he's just <laughs> wee. <laughs> hey, catch. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. That's, uh, the only scare point. I have is the eyeball scene. That's uh, that's on mine. Uh, despite the clearly animatronic Arnold head, um, it's a puppet. It's <laughs> it's, a puppet. it's not a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have. I like that scene is really creepy and effective when he's like doing surgery. It's it's actually it's pretty creepy when he's doing surgery on his arm too. I mean the eyeball yeah. thing, but then like the mechanics under the arm and everything. Um, but I also I wrote down that I love. It's not really a scare, but I do love the impact of the the imagery I referenced it earlier when he's after he. Is is pummeled under the truck, and then you see that the yeah. shreds against his face. Those those look really really good, really cool. But I, d- I dude, like I got I jolted when the machine woke up after the bottom half like blew away. Like yeah. Then you know she's sitting there mourning over Kyle Reese, and suddenly that robot's like hi, <laughs> <laughs> just leans up and like jumps into frame. Oh, yeah. oh. You know that that's yeah, it's it's messed yeah. up. Um, that's all I got. So, do you? So, I'll I'll yield if you don't. But I have something that I think might be kind of interesting for uh theme. Do you have some? Do you have anything that you really want to to make sure um, gets pointed out? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Why, don't, why don't you go ahead? It's not super. Uh, uh, there's not a lot to it. It's more a thought that I will expound upon a little bit and see if you want to take and run with. Um. So I, I will confess that the watching of this movie, uh, what I thought and still maybe think is a second viewing was just kind of okay. Um, mm-hmm. the third act did invigorate me a little bit once they're in the little factory element. Um, sure. But I had this really, I had this Anton ego moment, Reed, when, <laughs> uh, and not because it made me reflect on me, but what I was trying to conjure there was this notion of you're just moving along in life. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm thinking really deeply about a thing that I don't even know that the thing that inspired me is oh. meant to think deeply about. Sure. Um, understood. Yeah. The moment where I think she's bandaging Kyle up and she just says, tell me about my son. Mm-hmm. And I had this really profound kind of moment and and what I wrote as my little translation of that is how our future generations are affected by our present. Yes. And mm-hmm. this weird sort of thing that can only come in genre of media like this, where if you imagine speaking to someone who would know your adult kid mm. and be able to ask the question, hey, tell me about that person. Yeah. What are they like? Right. And 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 what is the because what's behind that question is is effectively, did I do a good job? Right. Yes. Right. Did I, you know, what are they like? How, how have the choices I've made right now that I think are meant to be for their good? Mm. Do those things pay off? You know? And, and again, I don't have a ton beyond that. It just really struck me as this really lovely little, little morsel 
in the middle of this mechanical movie. Um, <laughs> and, and just, uh, there's a really great Sarah Grove song whose title is not coming to me, but it's about generations and, and how, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 one of the choruses, I didn't look it up, so I don't have all the lyrics in front of me, but the chorus is, uh, to my great, 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 great granddaughter live in peace to my great, mm-hmm. great, great, great grandson live in peace. And it's just this yeah. really beautiful idea that again, for a very blip on the radar in terms of this movie conjured for me of like, Oh, okay. I should wake up and be about propagating good in my family's life because that right. good propagated now, uh, may not lead them to, uh, be the figurehead of a revolutionary army against a, a robotic oppressor, but, <laughs> but you know, we'll have echoes and that's a really powerful thought. Well, and it, it so, so granted you were led there by what is one of the more soft and, and, and intimate scenes in the film, but the fundamental to, to, to affirm what you're moving towards the fundamental premise of the film is victory or defeat lies in what happened 40 years ago, which if we're looking right now, it is the choices we're making right now that may determine destinies decades from now. And that's not Mm -hmm. meant to be a pressure filled. Oh my God. Kind of, kind of thing. It's, it's meant to for, well, I don't know what it's meant to do. I'll tell you, I can, I can speak to what it does in me is presents this idea of the, the, the way I father my son right now matters. The way I, the way I am a husband to my wife, the way that I am a a friend to my friends, the way that I am a, I, I, in, in my job, I am a boss to employees. The way I lead those people matters. It makes a difference. Like these, these are the things that again, fundamental to the premise of the Terminator is we, you know, shore up our victory in the future by going back and destroying their hope in the past. And, and, and it is, it's a very galvanizing kind of concept. And again, future installments in the Terminator franchise get buried under the weight of, you know, like, they keep trying to justify that this thing exists and make it logical instead of just saying, like, this is, this is how it is. This is just what happens. And kind of try to justify their own existence. But fundamentally, in the premise is we – he says it early on, and I, I, I didn't write this down. There's a, there's a version of this where Kyle Reese says to her what John Connor in the future made him memorize. And he's like, you know, the future is not set. Like you, you have, and, and that's a very powerful idea. You have the ability to affect the future. So you, you reference that Sarah Groves song. It's like seeds I'm planting right now are going to affect my son's grandchildren and seeds that I carry in, in fruition in my life were planted by my grandfather and my great grandfather. And, and these, this notion of of being and it works in both ways it works in both positive and negative ways that this notion of being tied to history and being tied to um not just 
the past, products of the past, but seeds of the future. Mm-hmm. And that the notion of that, you know, that, that, yeah, and, and there's a lot of dialogue right now, not a lot of it by my standard or by my assessment, not a lot of it is very constructive, but there's a lot of conversation right now about this tension about history and how we, how we remember, if I can put it that way. The conversation is frequently not that elevated, <laughs> but the, the, the way we remember what has taken place and we, we, we care it seems by my by my understanding we too infrequently care about the fact of like no there we are right now paving the way for what will come later and mm-hmm. and we are so prone to be obsessive about our momentary comfort our momentary condition our momentary liberty our momentary security you know fashion whatever word you want to in there we're so prone to be stuck in time that we have no understanding of the ramifications forward or backward and and i do find compelling at its root the fundamental premise of the terminator that like yeah in order to the only way the machines could obtain victory is to go back like 50 years ago and and destroy the hope that there's not even like and of course they try it again in Terminator 2 to just kill John Connor directly but they're destroying like the the birth of the hope like right. that's that's what they're destroying they're destroying the source of it not even just it in and of itself this first film attempts that they're going back and going to destroy the mother of hope the mother of the you know like they're going all the way back and it is uh, again the film itself i think would be fair to say that the film is not terribly interested in unpacking the ramifications of things like that beyond you know the the hopefully solid undercurrent of its action sure. story you know like uh it's not interested in asking deep philosophical questions at least it does not seem to be but again fundamental to its premise and i think of utmost consideration for us valuable consideration for us is to recognize the the product of the history that we come from and the prospect of the future that we are building right now in mm-hmm. all of our little choices in all of our subtle and distinct ways um and i had written down it's not very dissimilar from what you said i you know i had i had written down you know uh when kyle reese says uh to her it's that it's the trailer line you know like it's 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 very much constructed as a script line to be the the tag on the on the premise kyle reese says to her listen and understand the terminator is out there it can't be bargained with it can't be reasoned with it doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear and it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead and to me it's like the way that the machines and granted they are machines but the way that they seek to destroy futures for their own victories and and the way that they seek to um basically squash the hope of any prospect of uh of human beings having a thriving existence um it again sparks i don't want to i don't want to spend too much time here but 
it just sparks the concept of the ways that we, for the sake of brevity and for the in, in the interests of candor, I, I it bothers me to a large degree the way so much of our dialogue in political or social conversation has become about defeating the other side and the way that it has become about uh, we have to win and that, that mm-hmm. it, it becomes this thing of like, we, we, you know, we have to achieve victory and granted there, there could be some, some, some valid considerations of, you know, uh, winning the fight over wrongdoing and wickedness and evil, all of those things might be completely valid and present and, and, and important to the conversation. But um, it just bothers me the way that we have pitted ourselves against our neighbors in such a degree that, that we, we want them squashed. Um, we may not want them squashed like <laughs> by a hydraulic press <laughs> like the Terminator at the end of the but film, we might. but we might. Um, but we want <laughs> we want their ambitions, their goals, their desires. We want them squashed. Well, I'm gonna and, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna really jump in there no, you're fine, and you're fine. drive home the metaphor hard of the machines versus humanity. So super random, but applicable to the moment um a neighbor of ours has and it's actually a different neighbor than you might be thinking of has political views we live in a more rural part of our area Mm -hmm. and we are a bit more of a progressive home and so occasionally find ourselves thinking i don't know if we fit in where we live but um one of our neighbors uh, I had some one-on-one time the other night. It was socially distanced on their back porch. And this particular neighbor holds some views that I only know because of some of the paraphernalia, like t-shirts and whatnot. And no, it's actually not Trump uh, directly related, but uh, that I don't really like. Mm. And that's a bit more... Uh, extreme national nationalism type of ideas anyway so i'm visiting with this person really for one of the first times for probably about an hour and i came home and my wife kind of expressed a little bit of pride in me mm-hmm. for that and i just had this real sober moment and i said well if god comes to me disguised as my life this person was standing in front of me and i can't really hold against them the dumb t-shirt they're wearing that literally they were wearing while I was present with them. And I just sort of need to view them as a human that's in front of me that, that I can be present with and try to build some relationship with and, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. And where I'm going with this of the machines versus humanity thing, what's really, what's been challenging as a trend and is made more profound by our COVID moment is the fact that it is only in physical contact of a more traditional variety, sharing space, breaking bread, that bridges can be built, Mm. uh, that worldviews can be disassembled in favor of 
company and companionship right. and what's unfortunate it, it will come as no surprise i'm a f- i am a full believer that the coronavirus is a real thing it's rampaging the world especially and here in the states so i don't think there's some nefarious conspiracy afoot but what has happened is we are even more retreated to our machines than we've ever been yeah that's true yeah and what that means in a very practical sense is I can more readily and more with more fervency shore up my battlement as I defend myself and my views against the, the, the disembodied voices that I'm engaging with in a social media sphere. Does this make mm-hmm. sense what I'm oh, saying? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas that person and hear me, I actually, I'm not, I literally, literally am not referring to myself in this scenario, but just using as that example, I've, I've been pretty, pretty good when it comes to social media for about a year now, but, um, uh, not in terms of usage, in terms of engagement, but, uh, <laughs> what is the better, more human, more faithful, more, uh, Christ honoring in my brother and sister approach is, okay, I don't, you know, we do think differently, but if I can, have a human conversation with you, which is hard. It is hard. It's like, difficult. That's right. hard to do in a normal world. Like to, right. to, you know, I had in this scenario, we are literal physical neighbors. So there's a built in, you know, engagement point. Like, right. I right. might not have sought this person out otherwise, but you know, when I'm attached, tethered, bound to my machine as a primary point of engagement with the world, it permits me to never have my, to never either a embrace the humanity in someone else or B be forced to a vulnerable state of sharing my humanity. And so instead all we engage with is quote unquote ideas and quote unquote dogma and, you know, silly, you know, embittered viewpoints Mm -hmm. that do matter. I deeply believe that they matter a lot, but should never supersede uh, the care and tenderness we are required, called, and and commanded to show to our neighbor. Yeah, right. That's all I got. It is. It is the relationships in my life that have most profoundly honed and molded the nuance to my viewpoints. The, it, sure. it is yep. the relationships in my life. Right. I read books. I digest them. They are, they are thought-provoking. And many times, I will say this. If there is a book I have read that has challenged and, and, and impacted me in such a way that it shifted my thinking, chances are extremely strong that there were already mul- a multitude of seeds planted there by relationships I had already had. Sure. And, and, it, and it watered that ground and i'm a i'm a voracious reader i love reading but it is the relationships in my life that have shifted my thinking because as i have cultivated what you talk about the sharing of humanity the vulnerability of humanity seeing the humanity in somebody else um and and books as a device are you know far more enriching and edifying than what what you were describing about like the ways we've retreated to our machines significantly more so so i'm not taking the opportunity to beat up on books but yeah when we when we 
absorb all of our data from the the increasingly, you know, Bradbury's been on my mind a lot lately. Something Wicked This Way comes is coming up. In Fahrenheit 451, a key component is the government has summarized thousands of words of text into two sentences, including the Bible and massive works of philosophy into like two sentences. And the are, summary. Well, I don't. I don't remember what the. Oh, I don't remember what. It, no, no, no. What I mean is that <laughs> because the point is not what the two sentences oh, are. Oh, oh. It's that they have taken the massive binary. amounts yep. of of information and summarized them into a sentence or two sentences, and that mm. is yep. the data in which. Okay, this is the most relevant data that you have, and a yes. fundamental component of Fahrenheit four fifty one is. At, at, at the spoiler alert for that book, but towards the end of it, there are a community of people who have committed text to memory, committed mm. books to memory, and they, their task, their mission is to recall these words and recite them to each other in that they may remember. That's awesome. And, and it's, it's, it's lovely. It's, it's powerful and it's beautiful. The final words of Fahrenheit 451 is our, our character Montag is trying to remember what he will contribute and trying to recall what he will say. And at first he thinks uh, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to, to tear down and a time to build up. He, yes, I could do that. But what he recalls, and this is in Bradbury's book, what he recalls is the passage from Revelation where he says, I saw a tree and uh, a river and on either side, uh, the tree of life and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And that's what Montag chooses to remember. And he says, that's what I'll remember when we reach the city. And it is this profoundly beautiful idea of these, again, the, the, the rich history, a, a tree takes time to grow, and we ourselves plant seeds. I looked up that song that you referenced because I love that Sarah Groves song. It says, remind me of this with every decision that generations will reap what mm -hmm. I sow, mm -hmm. and I can pass on a curse or a blessing to those I will never know. Yes. Trees take time. That shelter, that shade takes time to cultivate. It takes time to grow. We plant those seeds now. We make those choices now. The, the choice you make to be kind to the person who cuts you off is not insignificant. The choice you make to be kind and to bear the burden of reconciliation, to include and forgive, all of those kind of things. I'm not trying to ramp myself up, but all of those choices, those little choices. I was having this, this and I'll be done. I was talking to somebody earlier today who was actively, we were having a conversation about fretting about the future. And it was all rooted in this politics and sociology and all of this other sort of stuff. And they were fretting about the future. And I said to them, completely unrelated to my thoughts about this conversation, it's just coming back. I said to them, I said, in my view, in my experience, the, the decisions we think are going to be the really big ones, most of the time probably aren't. It's the, right. it's the small decisions that you choose to make. The, the choice to be kind, the choice to be generous, the choice to be giving, the choice to be caring, the choice to be forgiving. It's those small decisions for which you will receive no placard, for which you will receive no money, for which you will receive no reward or laudit. Those are the decisions on which history hinges, because that is the decision towards relationship. That's the decision towards community. That's the decision towards uh, furthering uh, growth and goodness in the world around you. Those are the choices, those little choices that you make. So it is not insignificant when you choose to to pass over because who who knows? I mean, and who knew? Again, it's a silly sci-fi action thriller premise, but the future hinges on these two people 
who happened to make an intimate connection in this, you know, wild world that then 50 years from then will change the course of the future. And, uh, and, and we would do well to remember and to remind ourselves that generations will reap what we sow. Except does the future movies, I, um, I, I did recall I've seen salvation. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, that's the Christian Bale one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, do the, does the future mythology address the time loop aspect? I mean, Terminator one, the first, I mean, the first Terminator, I was like, Oh, well, they're all screwed. Cause now you've <laughs> just locked yourself into a bootstrap paradox of, yeah. Of um, they try, Reese, you know, yeah, they try and they fail, which is why I had referenced earlier that I, I, I enjoy the simplicity of this one because future ones really passed two. two does a pretty good job of like shoring things up. But past two, once you get into Rise of the Machines and beyond, it begins to buckle under the weight of all of the different time travel loops and, sure. and things. And they try to play fun with it. And some of it is genuinely kind of fun, but, but that's kind of where it, where it ends. It's not. Is the show any good? Sarah Connor Chronicles? I only watched like a couple of episodes. It didn't, it mm-hmm. didn't arrest me. Um, yeah. but, uh, but no, I mean, and, and, you know, obviously huge kudos to the, to the culturally significant Terminator franchise. And like I said, you know, the first Terminator is a, is a, uh, well, we can get into fog meter in a second, but, sure. uh, but the second Terminator is, you know, a masterclass in action filmmaking, arguably one of the greatest action films ever made. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's definitely got its, its praiseworthiness. Um, but yeah, why don't we, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Why don't, are yeah. you ready to? pivot into the fog meter the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and god where we rate our films or the material that we cover on their scares and their substance so uh here we are talking about james cameron's original installment in the landmark franchise the terminator so um on the fear measurement i think there's some pretty creepy stuff going on in this it's not a terribly scary movie but just tonally it's got some good creepy vibes and some of the stuff with with arnold being the robot and obviously the eyeball surgery and some of the stuff towards the end is enough to give me uh make me want to give it a six out of ten on the fear factor what say you i i think and there are a few there's nothing else that comes to mind as quite direct a a comparison here but i think there's just so much weight bearing down on this that in terms of pop culturally um that just knowing the general sort of energy about it uh makes it a lot less scary I, i think what i'm trying to say is there's a world where i could envision in 1984 if you went to the movie theater and saw this you'd be like freaking out and just sure, like totally yeah, totally right. engaged and totally you know caught up in it um but watching it perhaps for the second time the other night i was like oh it's fine um so i'm gonna i'm gonna go uh if if anna and the pocket and the apocalypse last week was a five on scares this is probably pretty comparable so about a five okay um and on the god meter what say you um i think what i brought to it was a little more a little more than necessarily what it was trying to ponder specifically. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, before I get to that, I'll give it a, I'll give it a five as well on the God meter. Okay. Um, I think for me, I think what substance there is, is baked into the fundamental premise, not necessarily explored in great detail by the film yeah. itself, 
um, I'm actually going to land myself at a six again because I feel like it's it's there uh, in terms of, like I said, the the premise has it sort of baked into the concept, but not. I think it's actually more richly explored in Terminator Two than it is in this first one. But um, but yeah, so so that means that we give the Terminator. Directed by James Cameron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean, a five and a half on the fog meter, uh, which interestingly enough is exactly what we gave in of the apocalypse. But um, so that's a five and a half on the fog meter. The bigger question, of course, as always, is would you recommend the Terminator to people? I think as a as a, you know, kind of foundation stone in the genre uh, be that sci-fi or horror. I think it's pretty a, a a bit of a necessary watch. I think I think until the third act, it there doesn't feel like there's a ton of energy to it. Mm, like understood, yeah. For me, there's, it's not. It wasn't super propulsive. Um, I think the makeup effects are great. I think the creature design and execution of the visuals are fantastic. I think there's a world in which I would believe Cameron learned how to fashion some new visual effects and crafted mm. a story around that, mm. which is okay. Uh, but because of that, it, it kind of is a little weak and sort of the thematic threads. So that's a long winded way of saying, I recommend it more as a canonical entry point than as a, you're going to love this movie if you haven't seen it kind of thing. That's actually that's actually a really astute assessment, and I think I would I think I would sit in the same place. Like as a sci-fi horror fan, you have to see it at least once because it's too seminal for too many other things. Uh, and, but that having been said, I think, understandably so, Terminator Two is actually the one that I would be more championing of and excited see, for. I'm like literally getting... interested in watching that now. Yeah, and right, to, right. But it's one a.m. and I can't. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you should check it out sometime soon because I'm telling you, like now having yeah. in in proximity seen the first Terminator, I think you would really strongly appreciate where they extend things to in Terminator Two because Terminator Two is just it, it's yeah. incredible filmmaking. So, um, so yeah, it's like I would more strongly say you got to watch. Yeah, Terminator Two is the one to get to, but in order to get there, and again for for how much groundwork it lays and for how impactful and, and culturally significant it is, uh, it's almost a necessary watch, even if your experience of it is just to check a box. Uh, although I think there's a strong possibility you will you will actively enjoy it for what it is. Um, so yeah, that puts uh, episode two of hashtag in the morning. Uh, this third phase season three. phase yep. three this this third season of the leftovers, this third phase of our series in the books. Uh, next week, uh, a film that I am incredibly excited to revisit. Um, it is a film I have only seen once, have very fond memories of and strong memories of, but I'm very curious to see it for a second time. Um, yeah, I, I forgot we were covering it. And, oh, yeah, yeah. and now I'm energized to rewatch it because I did enjoy the first viewing, but that's all I've seen. Yeah, I know it, I have seen it once. <laughs> right. And this is just a second viewing for me as well. But it's it's Mel Gibson's film Apocalypto, um, which loosely is about uh, the Mayan civilization towards uh, the end of its days. Um, it was long unavailable digitally and huh. only this year was released to Amazon Prime and available to rent or stream on various other outlets. I don't know what the difference was that finally made it available, uh, but for a long time, it was only available on a very expensive DVD that was out of print, and only this year has become available digitally, which 
not lying, is largely the reason why I pushed into this series. Because I was like, this is great. This is a great opportunity for us to talk about this film. So, yes, Mel Gibson's film, Apocalypto, is next week's coverage. And uh, episodes five and six of season three of The Leftovers. So check that out next week. Nathan, as always, thank you very, very much for staying up very late and having this conversation with me. Um, And listeners, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and to be on your way rejoicing. See you guys. Bye, everybody. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork. To Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. And to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.